It is a Canucks Central emergency podcast. Yes, they've finally made it official. The worst kept secret in all of hockey. Rick Tockett taking over the Vancouver Canucks head coaching position from Bruce Boudreaux. The Canucks making that announcement official earlier today. And here we are, Dan Richo, Satshaw, to react to everything we heard from Rick Tockett Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford sat. Uh, I think the most obvious place to start is uh, with elephants and what they eat or taking small bites at a time or wait, did I get that right? Man, I'm so confused after everything I heard. Yeah, there's a bit of everything, right? I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, we heard about elephants. We, we spoke about uh, we heard about Bruce Boudreaux, media speculation. I mean, there was a lot to get to. And I actually think there were some interesting things that came out that are informative that we can dig into and evaluate and and kind of peer into the future with where this organization might be trending but obviously the elephant in the room not the one you eat is because bruce is uh bruce boudreaux yeah so we'll, we'll get into uh, a lot of what we heard from uh from alvin from talk it and uh and, and otherwise but let's let's start there right it was Emotional last night, seeing Bruce, uh, the hockey world's sort of, uh, you know, coming around and, and really supporting Bruce Boudreaux in, in what was his final game as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. A, a surreal scene as, you know, a coach knowing he's about to get fired, gets to hold court with the media after the game. You don't often see that, at least not in the NHL. And there it was. And today's news conference started with that. And actually, we got an apology from Jim Rutherford. He apologizes for what he has, what his part to play in um, this entire situation being the way it is. And he kind of mentions that he has, he talks too much. And that's what he, you know, reset more than anything else, that he's too honest at times. And maybe because he's too honest and he can't help himself, uh, he maybe shouldn't be meeting with the media again and he should let Patrick Alvin handle it. So he says the biggest issue here was. The words he said about Bruce Boudreaux, which included what he said on our show back in November, something that Bruce himself cited yesterday that, you know, when that stuff came out in November, which was on our show on Canuck Central, Dan, that yeah. it was very obvious where things were trending. So that's what Rutherford took took um, ownership of and he apologized for and for this to get to this stage. But he didn't apologize for the way this was covered. No, and... Yeah. You know, I I don't necessarily. Um, I, this is probably uh, <laughs> no. It's it's definitely going to be me in the minority here. But I I don't really disagree with with Jim Rutherford and what he mentioned. You know, it's essentially this came out. We did not expect it to get out into the media, and we decided we weren't going to change our course of action because it got out. And that's all Rutherford was essentially saying. Is it harsh on Bruce? Is it made for a very uncomfortable situation over the last week? Yes, I believe all of those things are true. But they just, they didn't want to change their process on how this was going to play out based on this information ending up public and in the media. So, yeah. It may not be the nicest thing. It It is a little bit harsh. It is a little bit ruthless. All of those things apply like we've talked about. But uh, again, this is Rutherford being honest with everybody. I wasn't going to change what, what I was going to do, what we were going to do, just because this news got out earlier than it should have. And to some extent, I mean, that's fair. But here's the other reality that 
he has to realize you're not in Carolina, you're not in Hartford, and you're not in Pittsburgh where everything was generally rosy. You had big stars, and yeah, there were controversies and, and things that happened, but the Penguins were not covered the way a team gets covered in a Canadian market. And when you speak out the way you spoke out, which he apologized for and takes ownership for, those things can't be taken back. Like, people don't forget, and especially in the Canadian market, you start saying certain things, it'll keep being brought up. It'll keep being discussed. And, yeah, that's part of the machine. You know, like, I understand fans say, well, you guys are part of the problem. And fair enough. But that's part of the business, right? Like, this entire thing is so big. We we are here doing our thing, and, and we're so invested in trying to uncover things because there's a massive appetite for it. And that's how the game has grown. And that's how the game gets bigger. And that's how the game brings in more fans and you get more ways to cover the team, more interesting dialogues around the team. And part of the reason is even in a bad year, when the speculation and the conversations around the team are ongoing, at least people are interested in, in storylines, even though the team is losing. So there's, there's a lot of value here, even though I know fans get upset about it, but most fans are very much interested in what's going on on a day-to-day basis. But because of this machine and this animal here, you can't control it. And when something gets away from you, whether it's whether you like it or not, whether you like the fact that it was the, it was the media driving this narrative, it got out and it created this whole public perception of the coach hanging by a thread and, and waving in the wind day after day after day. He's a lovable character. It was a PR nightmare, and you had to get in front of it. And you didn't, and you saw what the reaction to it was. You took a massive PR hit, and your consumer confidence took a dip. Now, is that consumer confidence as big as it may seem at the moment? Maybe not, right? Like, maybe it won't be as big of a hit. People forget that things move on. People do forget sometimes about things if you start winning again, and maybe that's going to be the pathway to it. But you walked into this because you decided not to handle it in the moment. And that was a bit of stubbornness, I think, you know, and... I appreciate it. I get it. You don't want to let the media dictate once what you want to do. But had you let Bruce go like, what, five days ago, you wouldn't be dealing with the type of reaction you're dealing with. He was going to go anyways. So why not just get ahead of it and save yourself this massive headache you're dealing with now? Yeah. And as you keep uh, Mike Yo as as part of the coaching staff here as well. So it, it it's clunky. There's no doubt. It, it doesn't, um, it didn't add up a ton, but at the same time, Mike Rutherford mentioned, you know, this was happening before he even showed up when uh, the owner was courting Bruce Boudreau before he had let go of Travis Green as the previous head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. This is how generally how business gets done and generally it just does not get out. And that's the situation here that they had to deal with. And as you mentioned, Sat, maybe they needed to go further in how they dealt with it rather than the way that it ended up playing out. Now, they also gave a lot of insight into why they didn't necessarily see eye to eye with where Bruce Boudreaux was going with this team and why they decided to make this move now when initially their hope was to get through the whole year with Bruce Boudreaux as the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. They mentioned a meeting over a month ago that they sort of outlaid what they'd like to continue to see, what they'd like to see grow and they had a meeting a couple of weeks later, things weren't progressing, and here we are a month later, that led them to making this decision finally. But, you know, we all know that this goes back a lot further than that because they saw a lot of these Mm -hmm. discrepancies with how they viewed the way Bruce was doing the job. Essentially, it was, the way I heard it, 
sat as Alvin got into bigger specifics, which we'll play that clip in a second. But it, it sounded to me they didn't like Bruce's process on how he went about things. And the situation of wanting, needing to win every single game to save his job sort of put them in a position where we're not developing younger players on the roster. We're not developing a team ethos. We're just leaning on all of our star players to try and get us a win, get us two points every single night. And that's not the way we want to build up this hockey team. There's You're not building a program. You're not building a system. And part of that is also having a coach that isn't the coach you want, a coach that you're not giving security to, a coach that knows he has to make the playoffs or be in contention, otherwise he's losing his job. So his entire edict is winning the next hockey game. That's the only thing he's focused on. So it's hard to expect the coach to think big picture when that's what he's faced with. So I understand from Bruce's perspective, like, what else do you want me to do? Like, these guys don't want me. And it's clear that Bruce wasn't their guy. They wanted him to change. Maybe he tried a little bit, but they didn't bring it in training camp. We've talked about it so much throughout the season about how poor these guys were playing in terms of their preparation, the details in their game, and and they don't follow, it seems like, any cohesive system consistently. How much did we talk about the guys not trusting what was going on and they're not trusting one another, guys trying to do other people's jobs, getting out of position so frequently? It's been a mess, right? And, you know, again, you don't have to pin it all on Boudreaux, but the reality is this has been ongoing ever since training camp, Right. And it had to be addressed. Considering how things were going, considering the high draft picked available, why not just address it in the offseason? Something we talked about. But they said they wanted to get ahead. They wanted to start addressing these things right now. Rutherford dismissed that a little bit when he met with the media on Monday. But today they said, and Alvin mentioned, we have to start implementing those things. And I do agree with that being the case. And when you talk about the overall you know, coach bump thing going on here, with Rick Tockett coming in and everything, like I, I don't know, like when you when I hear what uh, Alvin was talking about and Rutherford even saying, like, hey, we're not trying to tank, but we want to come in and establish a new identity. I think there's gonna be some growing pains when you start doing those things. There's gonna be some ruffled feathers early, and I don't think it's necessarily gonna make the mood a lot better and and create this huge bump for the team to have success in either. So, what it seemed to me, to your point, Dan, like this was so much more about process than results. And what we might see the rest of the season may be more processed and results-oriented on the ice as well. Yeah, and I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't see the coach bump thing happening necessarily here. You know, yes, the Canucks have a soft schedule for the remainder of the season. Guess what? Bruce Boudreaux would have been able to get results against that soft schedule just as much as Rick Tockett is going to be able to because of the talent level on this team, period, end of story. What One of the big things was... This felt like Alvin's stamp, finally, on on the roster. At least that's the way I took some of this today. And he was asked by Chris Faber, essentially, you know, how do you view this playing out? It's not going to be the long-term rebuild, as Jim Rutherford pointed out. He mentioned, Alvin himself, early in the news conference, that it's not a quick fix. So what does that look like? And... This was Patrick Alvine's impassioned response to that question. Uh, starting off with, uh, you know, you, you have some really young, uh, good players here. And uh, um, established, when I came in here, and, and what I envisioned was to establish a culture and a standard uh, for a championship team. And, uh, you know, uh, part of it is starting in Abbotsford, 
what we want to do, how we want to create that environment down there. So the young players are building their foundations to be successful at this level. And uh, Jeremy Colleton was a big piece coming in here, understanding where, where we want to be and what's needed to be done. Uh, we were able to add um, some quality people on our development staff uh, to work with all those young players. And uh, nothing's going to be handed grand, for, for granted here for the players. Uh, I think, um, you know, we want to put players uh, in a position to succeed. Uh, every decision is going to be to put a player in the lineup, regarding if it's in Abbotsford or up here, in a position to succeed. Um, we're a young team. We continue, continue to building. And a uh, big part of this process is to bring in the character of the coaching staff here with, with Talk and, and Sergey and Adam Foote. Um, their character, uh, what they went through, and uh, establish uh, the winning culture in here. Um, and and it's, that was refreshing going through the process here. And I interviewed uh, a handful of candidates for this job. But talking to talk about asking the quick fix, uh, I believe there is a daily process of, that needs to be made before you're taking the next step. And what I mean by that is that we need to emphasize on how we practice and how we behave every single day. And if we do that, the, the things on the ice will be easy for the players. And I, I failed to uh, create this environment for the players. So when they're walking into Rogers Arena, they should feel safe. They should, be, they should know what their expectations are every single day. And I felt about that because I only think we use two-thirds of the team here. I think there's other players in this locker room that is capable of doing more. And my job is to provide a coaching staff with a 23-man roster and the coaches' staff are making the lineup, change, lineup decisions. But don't get me wrong, I will challenge Talk and his staff every single day about decisions they're gonna make. And that's the communication Talk wants to have. He, he wants opinionated play, uh, sorry, opinionated staff members around him. He, he's, he's not the smartest guy in the room, and neither am I. But we're building out the staff here to provide us uh, resources to make our decisions better. So. I, I, it's it's step by step, brick by brick. Uh, I'm really happy and proud of what we have uh, accomplished off uh, off the ice. Um, changes are never easy. Uh, for me, coming in here um, less than a year ago, um, looking over the structure of the hockey ops, um, looking into um, you know the the personnel uh, around the team and the players. Uh, Right now, uh, I'm really happy with the staff and, and my colleagues that we have and the vision we have moving forward here. Um, again, it's, it's not gonna be a quick fix and, and it's gonna be a lot of work and a lot of bumps on the road here and uh, we'll, we'll get it right. I think. That was about as, um, that was a level of conviction I'd yet to see from Patrick Alvinsat. Yeah, I mean, uh, his his level of, you know, conviction in in his media availabilities have kind of been at, at a solid two or three, generally speaking. Yeah. So maybe that was a, what, a six, I'd say, on, on the conviction <laughs> scale. But for Alvin, that was a meaning. I mean, maybe I'm, be, we're being a bit harsh about it being a two, maybe more of a four. But still, like, in, I mean, it's not like he was, you know, he, he was pounding the table, but... 
you could you could tell that there there was some forcefulness behind what we, what he was saying. There was some belief and conviction in what he was saying, and he was you could hear the disappointment about what was going on. His failures to to create an environment that's conducive to putting that banner that's been missing into the rafters here in Vancouver. And and honestly, Dan, like. I'm fine with this ruthlessness and them not caring and and being all about process over results and about, you know, feelings and all that. If you bring that banner into the building, like if that's what you're going to do, like if if this is a standard you're starting to set that you're saying, we're not letting anybody get away with a lackadaisical type of approach or not being able to meet the standards we need. If you don't meet our standards, you're gone. If you don't meet our standards, you're not going to be on this team, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, because our entire goal is to win a Stanley Cup. Fair enough, but you better damn make damn sure you're going to start winning if you do that, right? Like build that winning environment because all this sounds like you don't know what you're doing and you're just being a jerk if you don't start winning. It's like, well, you're just going out here and acting this way and reacting, but how are you actually creating the type of environment? And it's not like these people are, you know, they come off as being mean-spirited with everything that's gone on with Bruce Boudreaux, but I don't think they walk around yelling at people and creating a negative work environment for the people they have there. And he talked about his failures to allow people to be comfortable here, right? And part of that is the noise that happens. Part of that is the uncertainty with the coach and not being able to establish what in, what the expectation is on a day-to-day basis, right? We talk about winning environments, winning programs, whether it's hockey and different sports. It's teams that know what to expect every day they show up. And it was very clear you didn't know what to expect here as a Canuck. And the players might say, sure, you can blame us if you want, but when we come into this environment with this group and these coaches and, and everything, we're not quite sure what to expect. So what do you want us to do? Now take ownership of it and make sure you address it by bringing in the coach you believe can do that. That's that's his stamp today. And that whole message, I know people in Vancouver have been wanting to see process over results for a long time um even going back to the previous regime and how much you know whether it's from an analytics standpoint or just anything you know if you're going to be process over results it has to start in every little decision that you make and that's essentially what Patrick Alvine was telling us today of his vision it is all about process over results they feel they've got some of that process down with the AHL roster, with some of the improvements that they've made in the player development side of the game. It's still very early on to see any sort of return on that investment, but it looks to be trending in the right direction. Part of the problem here is a lot of their words are falling on deaf ears. I mean, it's only a year and people are not in a great spot with this front office, and it has to be results or there has to be a real feeling of this is going in a better direction in order to start winning some fans over it's going to take a lot more than one impassioned speech from Patrick Alvine to do that and I don't know if they're going to get that this year as we mentioned right with Rick Tockett and with the way they they're talking about the way the rest of the season is going to go how it's all about process over results they're going to not lean on star players as much as they had been in previous games and and what the previous coaching staff was essentially doing, those things seem to be going out the window in favor of building toward a better future, a more a, a better foundation, you know, a new way of playing as the Vancouver Canucks, getting a team to buy in to this sort of thinking. But as long as, you know, they are just words, 
it's going to fall on deaf ears for a lot of people with what this was representing today. But I, I did hear a lot of the things that I think I would want to hear if I'm a hockey fan on where this is going to go. But this is always, you know, we heard a lot of things that we liked last year too. Where is it going to go from here? That's how much the rest of this season means for this club and its relationship with its fan base. Yeah, and I don't know if this season is really, by the end of the season, that's going to change in a meaningful way because it all kind of depends on how things go, right? What's the decision going to be on Bo Horvat ultimately? But as far as how the team plays on the ice, I think these are the types of things, Dan, that um, you won't actually really see. And if anything, what could happen is the team struggles even more. Uh, They're having a hard time adjusting to a new reality, a new boss is in town, a new expectation, and we're all trying to figure out what that looks like, and it's not easy, and we're losing games. And people are going to come in and say— Some big-time players are traded out, you know? Yeah, and then— Potentially. Yeah, and potentially, and and who knows how how certain things go with certain guys, right, that may or may not be fan favorites and how they perform and what that means uh, for the rest of their tenure as Vancouver Canucks. So there's a real world here, Dan, that the team struggles even more, and people are sitting here saying, you fired Bruce for this. You know, you're talking about, like, at least they scored it and we had fun at some games and we chanted Bruce, there it is, and we showed up to the rink. Like, this is what you fired Bruce for? Like, there's a strong chance that happens at the end of the season. But if you want the high draft pick, that's not a bad thing. And if that's the hard, um, if that's a hard process you have to go through to get used to and acclimatize to what it's going to be like to be a winning team next season, then you handle it and you take it. But the fruits of what might be beneficial down the road may not be very evident the rest of the season. So as far as convincing fans, I don't know how much they can do the rest of the season as far as the on-ice product goes. Yeah, that's that's going to be tough. Um, but you want to see hope from somewhere, and you want to see what, well, what they clearly want to see is some growth yeah. further down the lineup, right? And, and that's uh, not necessarily the top end of the roster, but I feel like guys like Ethan Bear, Travis Dermott, um, Jack Stadnika, all the guys that they've brought in, they want to see some growth out of those players. And in one of the final moments of Jim Rutherford being uh, open and direct with the media, he mentions, you know, how disappointed they were to see Pod Colson and Hoagland yeah. take steps back. And I think that was another insight into part of why they um, they made this decision now with Bruce, because they weren't seeing that growth out of their young players, and this is about that support group and building that team, and guys like Pod Colson and Hoagland are clearly a bigger part of the future vision of this team, and they they sort of spelled that out for us today too. Yeah, they did, and the expectation is they'll come up again at some point, perhaps this season, to get a bit of a run here, but a lot of this place, I mean, part of the reason was get these guys down and get them playing and uh, away from all this, and part of it was a disappointment of these guys not getting the type of um, development that they needed this year. And hey, part of it, that is on them. And it's not, you can't just blame the coach. But, you know, we looked up at Colson earlier this year when he played and it was like, well, this guy's not doing anything really that bad. He's playing fairly well. Why, why does he keep getting the short end of the stick? And it came down to, well, the team struggled, blew a lot of leads early on. Bruce was under the gun and he started leaning on his veterans right away. And as soon as he started leading on his guys, the other guys fell to the wayside. And it really affected the confidence of a player like Bud Colson. And you can sit here and say, hey, Boudreaux was doing what he had to do to survive, and that's fair enough. But to your point again, it's not a, a, an environment that's conducive for these young players to 
play, develop, and, you know, start having success at the NHL level, right? So how much does that change with a guy like Rick Tockett? I don't know if it changes so much in terms of them coming up because if Hoaglander is going to have a lot of the same issues, Tockett's not going to be like, yeah, go out there and play 15 minutes a game. Like, yeah. you know, he even said, like, yo, how you play is going to dictate how much ice time you get. So I don't think it necessarily gets easier for them. But as far as you're, as far as the environment, it's going to be a fair shake. And there's not going to be any other reason outside of your play that's going to dictate whether you get ice time or not. And it was very clear based on what Alvin was saying, that they were in a situation where they weren't getting enough ice time to a lot of guys, like you mentioned. Not because they didn't deserve it, but because the coach was coaching to win every game in desperation. And that doesn't allow the players they brought in to develop and become something. And these guys didn't trade for these players to sit on the bench and not get ice time, especially when they're trying to build something, right? So I think that that said quite a bit about their frustration with Bruce Boudreau. Uh, an emphasis on how they practice, how they behave. That's uh, another big part of what Patrick Alvin had to say today and believe that there is more talent than what the team has shown. I think we all can agree there, but also a want to be able to build role players out of some of the, you know, further spots down the lineup. And that's where we get into Rick Tockett, because that seemed to be very much in alignment sat with what Patrick was saying and what we'd heard from Patrick at different points of the news conference. But topic, Tockett made it obvious, you know, there's elite players on this roster you can see the talent. These guys can score a lot of goals, but they need to develop more role players on what they can do. And they need to tackle the penalty kill and goals against and really hamper down on some of those things. It's uh, classic coach speak in a lot of it, but um, he, he said a lot of things that are needed here in Vancouver, but it's it's not as if a lot of those things weren't so obvious, Sat. So ultimately, with a new coach, how do you get this team to buy in? That's that's uh, it, it may seem cliche, but that's kind of what this is all about right now for Rick Tockett. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting too because if it's going to be uneasy for some, like the players are essentially in a position where some of them have no choice but to buy in because if they don't, mm-hmm. they're going to find themselves in a tough spot. And for all the discussions about how a lot of these players feel, that's what makes this you know, a very challenging spot for these players too, because they, they may not be happy with what's going on. They may not be happy with how this is unfolding. And obviously they're just disappointed with how they performed as a team and where they find themselves. But they also know that they can't, it doesn't get easier now with this new coach. You have to impress, you have to find a way to, you know, do the things you need to do to be successful. And that also means sacrifice a bit. And this year, a lot of these players have, like we talked about, gone out to try to score as much as they can and you know uh, at times look like they're they're chasing stats in in a lot of ways and hey we had Brett Festerling on uh, you know calling the game alongside Batch um, uh, Mm -hmm. the other night and he says like hey this happens in the league where when things get really bad and team isn't going anywhere guys are trying to get theirs they have to get theirs because they're trying to stay in the league they're trying to survive they're trying to you know justify their contracts and, and that's what kind of happens here so that's not, that's going to be not an easy adjustment to make I think because talk is not not, not going to let the guys get away with that and that may make for a very awkward transition early on for, for quite a few players who are, have been used to essentially throwing caution to the wind when they're out there on the ice might have to put fast forward on the, some of those Bo Horvat trade talks 
<laughs> Could you imagine? The way he's been blowing the zone lately. Um, all right, I'll, I'll leave that where it is. But uh, it, it, you know, we we know where the captain is uh, is kind of situated as far as trade talks are concerned. He's having an incredible incredible off season, uh, offensive season. But you know, the defense isn't there. We've seen that for a lot of these guys this year, Sat, and it's been something that's plagued this roster, this core group of players now for a few seasons. So getting this uh, to getting this group to buy in. I feel like the new motto for the team has to be taking small bites of an elephant at a time. Yeah, it's I've never heard heard of that. And, you know, it creates a lot of I mean, the memes are pretty funny and the reaction on social media is pretty funny. It's going to be one of the sound bites you'll hear the most out of that out of that press conference of anything that Rick Tockett said. Right. Yes. Because it was such a weird thing, taking bites of the elephant. I mean, it's clear what he was trying to say that. There's a huge task at hand here for them, and they're not going to be able to solve it right away. They're going to have to do it bit by bit by bit. And elephant's very, very big, so it's going to take quite a bit of time. So I get what he was trying to say, but it was it was just something that was awkward because I mean I've never heard of eating elephants. I mean I'm sure I'm sure it happens. I mean I know you know um, elephants do get hunted for for ivory and all that, but you know I I I don't I don't know they're a delicacy. No, that's that's something um, I didn't know. According to Batch, uh, the uh, Brandon Bachelor did the uh, intrepid reporting on this and 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 uh, found out Desmond Tutu once wisely said, "There is only one way to eat an elephant: a bite at a time." What he might, what he meant by this, is that everything in life that seems daunting, overwhelming, and even impossible can be accomplished gradually by taking on just a little at a time. So um, that's, uh, I guess, the reference that Rick Tockett was making that nobody else had heard except him. Uh, but well, now we know. I mean, well, it's funny because I mean everybody, uh, everybody's been on uh, talking for his likes on social media, and he shut down his Twitter, and, and there he is, you know, quoting the great Desmond Tutu. <laughs> <laughs> Something we always do in our in our normal day to day lives is quote Desmond Tutu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, terrific, man. Maybe maybe I'm the in, man's well read. Man. Maybe the man's well read, and we're sitting here making fun of him. It's like, oh, you fool, eating elephants. He's like, like maybe try reading. It is a metaphor, and uh, look, uh, th this is a lot of, you know, what what coaches. Uh, how do you relate to players? That we know the relationship thing is going to be big for for Rick Tockett. He mentioned that a thousand times. You know, I one player I wanted to get to, and the clip on on JT was was super interesting, just because, you know, um, a lot of people have sort of tried to make the connection of can Rick Tockett get JT to buy in and maybe take some of the bad body language out and the um, lack of back checking that we've seen on certain replays at different points, which I think is overblown at times, but Tockett didn't necessarily back down from any of it and maybe diplomatic, but didn't back down from it. Here's the clip. I just don't know if you can play guys, you know, those type of guys that many minutes, 24, 23 minutes a night. I, I don't think that's what we're looking for doing here. I think, so JT's put in positions, uh, sometimes uh, maybe he's pacing himself, I watch out there, but uh, his passion for the game's there. Um, you know, I'm anxious to work with him, you know, talk about leadership and stuff like that. I got some some big leaders that I got with me with, with, with uh, Surya and Adam that can help me also too. So yeah, I'm anxious to work with him. He's a, you know, he's definitely a player that can really help your club. I mean, he, he has all facets in his game. So I'm, I'm, like I said, very excited to work with him. How do you do a guy that's that emotional? 
Well, I've dealt with, you know, I was an emotional player. You know, I, man, I'd be, you know, I'd be emotional. But there's different emotion. You know, it's, it's okay to, to have emotion on the bench or tell your linemate, let's go. But I think on the ice, you got to be careful of your body language. You know, that emotion, if you're, if you're upset, doesn't mean go back. And I'm, I'm not, it's not an indictment of J, uh, JT. I'm just saying it's your body language. Is, you can't start back checking because you're mad at somebody. That, that's, that's one of my rules. You, it's okay to be emotional, but you have to have the right emotion. So just channel it. So uh, that's for everybody. It's not JT. That's just, I think, a locker room, you know, in general. We know getting the most out of out of JT is one of Tockett's biggest things here. He's got him for another seven years, right, uh, at eight million per. So it's it's massive that this organization gets JT back on that train of playing at both ends of the rink and playing well at both ends of the rink, which I kind of think he has been lately, more so. But um, that's neither here nor there. Are you buying what Tockett is selling on not just JT, but from a general sense? as to how he's going to get players to buy in. I mean, uh, I I do get what he's saying, and it makes total sense. Uh, now go out and do it. And, I mean, he has gotten buy-in. Like, he gets hard efforts from his guys. He hasn't had good teams. He hasn't had a lot of success. But the players generally have worked hard under Tockett, like especially in Arizona as well, um, when they didn't have, you know, a ton of good players. So I don't think his way of getting the most out of players is constantly yelling at them. So I don't think... The comments towards JT were necessarily going to be like, oh, oh I'm going to be the taskmaster on JT. But it, it's very clear that, you know, th- that pacing yourself isn't going to be accepted. And, hey, if you're playing too much, I'll reduce your minutes a little bit. And if you're still doing that, well, then the problem is on you. You know, like it's it's one thing here that maybe you're going to use too much. Maybe we're asking too much of you and maybe the situation is just overwhelming right now. We need to just, you know, be more fair and spread things out and, and have a proper system that we adhere to. And maybe that helps you. And if, Which is something Patrick Alvin mentioned last summer in the lead up to yes, the season. Exactly. So those are the types of things they want to see, and they weren't able to do that. So if JT is still pacing himself, quote unquote, or you know not skating so hard with reduced minutes, then yeah, okay, we'll see how Taka deals with that. He's probably not going to be happy about it. And he, it's very clear he mentions it in the media. He'll be mentioning it to the guys. And I don't think JT is going to have a problem with Tockett generally, because I think they'll they'll probably be personalities that that see a lot of things in common, generally speaking. So I I, I would hope he takes the right way. Um, kind of similar then, players when like, right. if you think about Tockett as a player. Yeah, and Tockett, you know, I'd say Tockett was even tougher in meter, right? Yeah. So For sure. You know, so I I think you know JT would know like this is a guy like you know even though he's fifty like this is a pretty big tough mean guy right and he he had a lot more success in the NHL than I have had so far you know so I think those things would 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 resonate with him I would hope they resonate with him and ju- just the overall thing about the bad body language on the ice like if you you can't throw your head down because he's like if you throw your head down you can't skate back hard and that's the only expectation I have is to bust your ass coming back and you can't be having bad body language on the ice not because you can't be upset but because what you're doing is taking away a step or two to catch up in the play and 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 get the puck back or and adhere to your responsibilities defensively or through the neutral zone at least, right? So those are things too that we attribute to JT that I don't think he's going to be having a lot of time for. It's uh, it, it's pretty clear he's not going to have the same tolerance level, and he's able to have that though. He's got a bit of a leash here. He's clearly Patrick Alvine's guy. Jim Rutherford's guy, and they believe that they can build out this program better with Rick Tockett at the helm. You know, that's this organization has desperately needed that the alignment between coaching and and management. 
And if, if we're going to make any sort of, uh, like, like the more I've thought about it, Sat, they needed to make the Boudreaux decision last year. It would have been very unpopular after the way the season ended. But clearly, like, that's sort of what needed to happen, but didn't because they didn't want to have three coaches on uh, on the payroll at the same time for a full season. And that would have been a tough pill to swallow. They tried to make it work. They gave Bruce the chance. It got even worse by the end of it. But now you've got some alignment. You can truly uh, start to implement these things. Uh, Rick Tockett can, you know, sort of rule with an iron fist, for lack of a better term, uh, because he is more so coaching for the future than he is for results on this season. And breaking players down, really honing in on some of those things are what is going to, I think, or at least should, be a big part of what he does through these final 30-ish games of the season. And there was a couple of things that I thought were super interesting from Tockett as well. One, when he spoke about the rest of the season, slow things down, evaluate some players myself, see what players could have a bigger role. And he later talked about needs other guys than the top players to penalty kill. Mentioned at different points, guys can't play 23, 24 minutes a night and be expected to go out there and play hard every single shift or be able to have the juice to play hard on every single shift. So he needs others than the top players to penalty kill. I don't know how you're going to find that, what sort of system you're going to put in place that gets these guys to to PK better than the previous coaching staffs have. But that was sort of the interesting part is taking the load off of some of these star players and finding ways to build out roles for guys further down the lineup, which I don't think this organization has done well enough going back a few years now. Well, yeah, it's like it's having defined roles for what these players do and let them have ownership of it and show up every day and trying to hone those skills. And, you know, a lot was, you know, made about the Kevin Bieksa speech to the players. But one of the things he mentioned there was everybody has to take ownership of what they do and work very hard at what they do. So if, if, if you're a penalty killer and that's what you're doing on this team and that's how you're bringing success, that's what you're working on every single day to perfect and be the best at. And when you have a clearly defined role for everybody and you have everybody slotted into places where they, they can take ownership of it, well, it's going to be far more conducive to having that type of good, positive team environment where people come together and feel like they're, they're pulling in the right direction or pulling in the same direction and they're working towards a greater, bigger goal. And that's the idealistic way of building a team in the type of environment that is going to be successful and it takes time to implement those things. But you have to start finding those players. And part of the process, this the rest of the season, and obviously even next year until you get to the point where the team is competitive, is going through players, acquiring players, and seeing which ones can fulfill roles. So give them a chance, give them ownership, and if they can handle it, great. You give a check mark next to them, you keep it in the pile. If not, you chuck them. And that's what the rest of the season is going to be about in, in many ways for a lot of these players. Final thing uh, for me and my takeaways on on, on Rick Tockett, um, he's looking to Pedersen and Hughes to set the bar in practice. And it, it almost felt like him challenging those two players to really, knowing that they are the two most talented players and they are the future of this franchise, it, it almost, not not necessarily a challenge, but he said, I'd like to see those guys set the bar in practice and really... To me, that sounded, we need these guys 
to start growing their own leadership group for this team because they are the future of this group. Yeah, it's it's around you guys, and you're you're the guys that are going to have to really set set the stage here. So if we start looking at, you know, who the who are going to wear the letters here, and I know a lot of people are assuming Pedersen's going to be the captain, or they're going to offer the, the Pedersen the captaincy uh, if and when Bor Horbag gets traded, especially in contract talks this off season. And perhaps you know I'm not dismissing that that may be part of it, but I I also just. I'm not sure if that's ultimately what Pedersen would want to be the guy that's the forward face all the time dealing with this and, and being the captain guy. Like, is he happy having an A, but being part of the leadership group and not having to have the duties of a captain? I don't know, right? I mean, those are things that I, you, you have to wonder about. So is maybe Quinn the one that's better suited? Is neither guy suited for it? But here's the thing. It has to be one or two of those guys, right? Like, because I don't think they want to give the captaincy to JT, not to say that he can't be the guy, but I think when we're looking at moving the team forward and and really trying to change the shape and identity of it, those are the guys that you're kind of looking at here. And it's very clear that's what the organization is kind of leaning towards. Can one of those guys rise to that and and be that under Tockett? And with with Patterson, it's fascinating, right? Because if we, do, we start seeing that shift where a lot of this stuff is going towards Patterson and Hughes, and we're starting to see the team have different rules, JT you know, maybe adhering differently and the team showing a clearer vision, is that going to help him? Is he going to want to stay here long-term? Does that convince him that this is the place to be? Or how does he react to that? And I think that's one of the most fascinating side stories here for the rest of the season is just that dynamic with Elias Patterson. And do you do enough that at the end of the season, he's eager to re-up with you? Um, and uh, that contract negotiation could dominate uh, the summer conversation around the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, a couple of the uh, other assistants that were added, uh, Adam Foote named assistant coach to this uh, group, and Sergei Gonchar has been hired as a defensive development coach. Uh, between them, eight Stanley Cups. Uh, so um, a, lot of, um, a lot of experience added to this coaching group as uh, they've They've put their stamp on it, Sat. This is this is Patrick Alvine's baby now. There's there's really uh, this is now the time. There's nothing left other than a few big moves on the roster. Yeah. But like they've really started to put their stamp on it just a year on in. Yeah, and you know we'll probably hear more from Foot uh, over the next couple uh, coming days here, and you know how ultimately what type of role he's ultimately going to have, the type of impact he could potentially have, and how Sergey Gonchar fits into all that, but. Obviously, as far as experience goes and as far as pedigree goes, you're looking at two guys that could help a beleaguered defense, whether that's helping some of the young guys like Quinn Hughes becoming the ultimate versions of themselves, maybe getting a guy like Ethan Beer to that higher level, level, Travis Dermott. Can you reclaim OEL? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I think it's very clear where they're headed with Myers after this season or beyond one year or left. Like, that's not a long-term fit, but how does OEL fit into all this? And is there any way for those guys to get that guy to a level where he can actually be part of the roster long-term or if you actually do have to consider buying him out this offseason? So a lot of these side stories, Dad, are going to be really fascinating. And they're putting some pieces together where it's very clear what they're looking for, what they're looking what they're looking to accomplish. And uh, we'll, we're finally getting to see what their vision is going to look like and whether that's for better or worse. We'll wrap up this uh, emergency podcast on Rick Tockett being named the official head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. The speculation is over, and now we get to see how this is moving forward with 
a new head coach. We're back on Monday, getting you ready for the Canucks in their first game under head coach Rick Tocchet. It'll be against the Chicago Blackhawks on Tuesday. For producer Josh, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canucks Central.